What are active labour market programs and public works programs? How effective are they? To answer these questions, an impact evaluation was recently conducted of the Urban Youth Employment Program, the largest employment program in PNG. In this Dev Policy Seminar on the 20th of September, Chris Hoy presented the initial results of the evaluation and highlighted areas for further research. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Let's make a start. Uh, I think we uh, don't have the biggest numbers, but good quality. So thanks, everyone, for coming. Um, let's begin with the uh, uh, acknowledgement to the first Australians, the traditional owners of the lands, the land on which we're meeting. And let's pay our respects to the elders of the Ngunnawal people past and present. Uh, so my name is Stephen House, and I direct the Development Policy Centre. And um, one of the areas we work on is PNG. And Chris has been is doing his PhD, and it's a very unusual PhD in that it's uh, focused on impact evaluation, which is not that unusual, but it's focused on impact evaluations in PNG, which is um, pretty unusual, if not unique. Um, and this is uh, based on one of uh, the chapters for that thesis, or one of the papers, uh, and some work he's been doing on a uh, job creation program in Port Moresby. For those of you who go to Port Moresby, you might have seen some of the crews that are around cleaning up the place who are subsidised uh, to do uh, this work. It's part of a larger program that the World Bank supports and the World Bank, you know, to their credit, has uh, commissioned this uh, impact evaluation that Chris has been working on. Uh, so, without further ado, I'll hand over to you, Chris. We're looking forward to it. Sure. And since it is a small number, it will keep it informal and uh, feel free to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good. Cool, yeah. So, any questions at any point in time or... Just go for it. Like, uh, so uh, I'm going to do the best I can to represent the program uh, adequately. Uh, but you know, fire whatever questions you have at me. But you know, I might not know the intricacies of like sort of exact which neighbourhood in Port Moresby or whatever this particular intake occurred. Um, but don't hold back the most detailed questions you can throw. Go for it. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Let's let's get let's get into it. So, um, okay, well, I guess you've already heard a little bit about me, so bless you, I won't um, cover any more, um, particularly given the informal nature of the talk. But, uh, okay, so this is the three things I'm going to cover today. Uh, the first, I want to clarify what I mean by impact evaluation, uh, just so we're all on the same page. Uh, there's a lot of kind of discussion, I guess, about sort of, you know, impact assessments or just evaluation in general, but impact evaluations referring to a very specific thing, which tends to be economists, if not exclusively, but tends to be just economists who do impact evaluations. Uh, then finally, I'm going to sort of describe sort of broadly public works programs and active labour market programs, both of which are kind of are part of this broader employment program in Papua New Guinea. And then finally, I'm actually going to go through the findings of the impact evaluation. So let me get started. And I could talk about this program for at least five to six hours. Uh, but I'm going to sort of go through the main highlights now. Uh, and yeah, so I've maybe made like about a half an hour presentation, but with all your interruptions, with great questions, <laughs> um, I'm sure that'll sort of um, go for at least an hour. Cool. Uh, but no more than an hour. Yeah. So uh, what do I mean by impact evaluation? So first of all, I want to be clear. So when I'm talking about impact evaluation, I'm specifically talking about sort of the downstream outcomes and impacts of a program. So this is sort of typical program cycle that you see whereby people do stuff. Uh, so they put their inputs into a program and then there's outputs, but then there's ultimately outcomes and impact uh, that we want to see. This is what motivates you to actually do the program in the first place. And the classic example I like to point out is the fact that you know, maybe it's a school building program, right? So you need bricks and, I don't know, cement, I don't know, stuff like this to build schools. That's your inputs. The outputs, was a school built? Well, as thrilling as that question is, the actual main reason why you built the school was to get kids in school and then get kids learning, right? So that's kind of what the focus is of an impact evaluation. We're really looking down this end, uh, as opposed to maybe a lot of, other types of evaluation that's just trying. This is an important step to be able to monitor and understand, but I guess it's kind of not what's really motivating you. It's definitely not why the World Bank in combined with DFAT uh, have actually spent tens of millions of dollars on this program. Uh, you know, they're thinking in terms of the outcomes impact. 
And just to be clear, when I say how am I going to estimate this, well, uh, it's all about trying to understand uh, what would have happened if the program wasn't in place. So just simply doing like a before afterwards is kind of not really adequate to be able to understand truly did a program have a positive impact or not. You need to be able to know what would have happened if the program wasn't in place, so the counterfactual. And actually the impact of a program is the difference between what would have happened, right, if the program wasn't in place, and then what did happen. And so that's what the impact is, so uh, nothing too exciting uh, there, but just to clarify, that's what we're looking at, and ultimately you don't know the counterfactual, it could actually be like this. You know, or you could be in a situation whereby employment declines, but actually if the program wasn't in place, it would have been much worse. And this is particularly relevant when we're thinking about the case in Port Moresby employment market, whereby the formal sector has fallen, formal private sector employment has fallen by around 20% since 2013 uh, in Port Moresby. So uh, employment rates are declining, but uh, you know, it's important to think about what's the counterfactual in the absence of a program about employment. So what can be done? to improve employment opportunities for youth. Well, actually, any questions at this stage? Got a quiet bunch here today. No? Cool? Okay. So now what can be done to improve the employment situation? So I'm not really gonna to spend too much time uh, painting the picture in Port Moresby. Most of you have been there. Uh, and, but it's a very uh, dire straits uh, sort of situation for a lot of young people. And that there's limited employment opportunities uh, particularly in the formal sector, and there's limited levels of education as well. So naturally, would expect governments, aid donors and others to be interested in what can kind of be done to improve the circumstances of young people when it comes to getting employment. So what can be done? You've, can anyone throw out any ideas about like what can be done? Just keep going. Again, no, no one can come up with any ideas. Cool. Well, so there tends to be, no matter what ideas you guys would have thrown, I reckon it would have fit into one of two categories. So either public works program, which is effectively paying people to do necessary, but just manual labor. Uh, so in this case here, these are people who are actually involved in the program in Port Moresby, and uh, they're helping build footpaths sweeping up some uh, mess and rubbish from around Port Moresby. This is an important role to play, and they get paid the minimum wage, the minimum formal wage, which is about, what, 350 kina, so uh, per hour, so that's not really too bad. So you're getting money, right, to be able to do something, but it's not really skilling you up for future employment beyond this, right? Like you're kind of more just doing something to get paid for that day to have some money. And that's kind of what a public work program crudely is versus the other type of employment program, which is like an active labor market program. And this is about trying to get people with the skills, experience, and to be matched with employers to be able to uh, actually get employment opportunities into the future. It's all about trying to create opportunities for the future. Now, this obviously, when we look at this, say, in theory, say, at least in economic theory, would be like clearly active labour market programs are substantially better to create future employment opportunities. But then this is what the problem is, which is reality hits the theory and actually shows that most active labour market programs around the world have been shown to be largely unsuccessful. So David McKenzie at the World Bank has done like a meta-analysis of all the impact evaluations that exist in developing countries. And what he shows is roughly for every 100 participants in an active labour market program, only two, actually, jobs are created after the program. Uh, but that's not statistically significant so, um, from zero. Right. So obviously, this is much more resource intensive than a public works program. But the question is, is it really having that much extra benefit? So uh, that's kind of what we're exploring here in the case of Port Moresby. So it's quite an important question uh, to be able to sort of tackle. And uh, we're using the Urban Youth Employment Program as the sort of the case study. So this is the largest employment program in Papua New Guinea. And uh, 
So here is like just some slides that the World Bank, some nice happy slides that the World Bank has online. Uh, I've got to try and keep on remembering that I'm uh, being taped. It's my understanding, so I'll, I'll try not to be. Uh, anyway, so here's some nice advertisements of the program, and uh, I'm just going to go through that. So uh, first of all, they paint a picture about how dire the situation is for most of the youth in Port Moresby. Uh, and yes, around half of the population is actually made up of young people. And uh, so that's why there is this employment program in place and its aims to help uh, create, this is kind of the, what they call like the PDO, so the, um, the Program Development Objective in the World Bank, which is to create temporary employment opportunity, uh, temporary employment and training to increase their chances of getting a job. So in other words, uh, this is kind of like the public works component here, temporary employment versus training to increase the chance to get a job. That's kind of the active labour market component. So you've got both of those components here. Uh, so anyway, they screen them, make sure people are eligible, they get ID cards, and then they get basic training. Uh, and so this is kind of like the first aspect here, which is the public works program. So I mean, really it's, it's a range of activities that the sort of uh, national capital district has identified as useful and that they would pay someone a minimum wage to do, such as in this case they're doing gardening um, around town. Uh, and then this is when we actually look to people doing the uh, active labour market programs where you can actually learn real skills uh, that are hopefully going to get you a job in the future. So that... I mean, this is what they say. They say that it aimed to help that many people during that period of time, but in reality, it's actually reached around 20,000 people since then due to extra top-up funding from Australia. So uh, it's kind of pretty impressive how many people that they have reached and trained, uh, but there's still this question of, like, what is the impact, right? So uh, I won't show you the video, but I guess I really want to emphasise this, which is that the... So urban youth employment program is quite unique relative to other active labour market programs. So I told you before about how active labour market programs have been shown to be relatively unsuccessful around the world, to put it nicely. Uh, but active labour market programs tend to only have one of these three components here. Whereas in the urban youth employment program, there's actually all three. So people receive training, then they're actually matched with an employer who needs someone to come in and do a job, and then they actually get a job placement, and they get their wage subsidised for five months. The employer doesn't pay a cent. So it's a pretty good deal for the employers right? uh, on that side of things. Um, so they're getting people who are trained with basic sort of work-ready skills. And when I say basic, I mean some of it's pretty basic. So it's a recap on numeracy and literacy, hygiene, and then introduction to, say, using a computer, things like this. Uh, job matching, they're actually matched with an employer who fits their skills and ability, and that's particularly important thinking about the fact that around half of the participants, slightly less are females, so, so like they do kind of match to places where it's better to be in. Uh, and then, yeah, the five months wage paid, minimum wage. Cool. So, any questions at this stage? So you said the, in general, AL and these have one of those three? Mm. Um, and, and the McKenzie, I guess, evaluation, did it um, factor those differences into its analysis at all? Yeah, so it broke them down, sort of one by one, and, um, I mean, <coughs> effectively, they're all statistically significantly not different from zero, uh, but on a point estimate, basis, uh, the sort of wage subsidies and the placements are kind of the key uh, kind of thing. So that kind of, if there's any benefit from doing these, you would do the wage subsidy sort of placement. Yeah. Great. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to get into this now. So before I dive into the results, I want to clarify what the actual impact evaluation is focusing on, which is asking the question of is there an additional impact of doing the active labour market program beyond just doing the public works program? 
right? Which is slightly different from just talking about the program as a whole. So the program as a whole includes both components, right? And uh, I want to sort of make that clarification because there has already been an impact evaluation on the program as a whole. And uh, what I'm particularly focusing on is the additional impact of the active labor market component. Cool. So uh, the question is, if it's an impact evaluation, how do you estimate the counterfactual? Huh? So that's, that's what the question is. How do I come up with this blue line here? Well, I do this by comparing participants in the active labor market program and people who uh, didn't participate in the active labor market program but just did the public works program. It's a slight problem that I face. The step to get from here to here requires two key things. You need to be able to perform well in a numeracy and literacy test and you also need to have completed this program, shown up all the time and sort of done the right thing. Right? Uh, so to get here, people tend to be smarter and more competent. So if I just compared the outcomes of the people who just did this program and the people who did this plus this, that wouldn't really be a fair comparison, right? Because I'd be comparing uh, apples with oranges. I'll be comparing people who were sort of smart, smarter and more sort of work ready and competent versus people who were less so. So that's not really a credible way of estimating what would have happened if the program wasn't in place, which is why we had to kind of get a little bit sort of tricky. Any questions at that point before I go into the detail? Yep? Um, just it would be interesting to hear as you go through what the um gender analysis you've done around you know, not just men and women and the, and, the, and the data around that, but also what, what are the um, impact of community requirements or family requirements on women and women, what that that's having on their movement from that first program to the... Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. Cool. I'll come, no, I'll no, come no, back no. to that. No. But, yep. um, great. So, this is how... Uh, I go about trying to make that comparison, which is, so there's a pool of young people in Port Moresby who have been outside the formal mar um, labour market for at least six months, right? So haven't had a formal job for at least six months, have applied to be part of the program in a select period of time, right? Which was between April to November 2015. They need to be eligible for the program, so they're screened and told that they're good to go. Then they need to have performed highly on the academic test and then satisfactory completed the training. So this is kind of the pool of people here, uh, which I looked at and I looked at three intakes. So intake 12, 13 and 14. And something happened in intake 13 that allowed me to be able to use that as my comparison group. In intake 13, there was a bunch of people who were eligible, who fit all these key criteria, but didn't get to go on and do the active labor market program. So there was a range of reasons why they didn't get to go on, but the primary reason, the reason that was given to the youth at least, was because of the FIFA under 23 Women's World Cup and a shortage of volunteers, uh, they uh, will be required to not do the active labor market program but will get paid to volunteer at the uh, 2013, um, sorry, at the under 23s Women World Cup, Soccer World Cup. So uh, they got to do one month volunteer, get paid the minimum wage, and never got to do an active labour market program. So uh, that's pretty un. So how long does the active labour market program go for? So it normally goes for more than six months. So five months on the job um, internship plus um, more than a month training beforehand. So, yep. So they got one month volunteering, like escorting people to their seats, right? Uh, instead of getting to do a real comprehensive program. So uh, the question is, I guess, were they unlucky? Right? Because... Well, not the other group. Yeah, no, no, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, right? So, well, 
We're, we're going to compare the outcomes of people in this group who met all these criteria but didn't get to do the active labour market program with people in the intake just before, three months before, and three months afterwards, and to see what their outcomes were. And if there's a big difference between the two, then we'll say that these guys are unlucky, but what we would be actually saying is that this active labour market program did have an impact, right? So by being able to say the fact that we're comparing the same group of people, some got to go through to do the active labour market program, some people didn't, in comparing their outcomes. So I want to convince you even more that these guys are comparable. So intake 12 and intake 13, so intake 12 and intake 14, who I'll now call the treatment group, are comparable to the control group. So I could have shown you a chart of a range of things like gender, sort of uh, which part of Port Moresby they're from, and it will come out to be the same. But in the interest of time, I did. What I will show you, but, is I'll show you some of the key outcomes that we might be interested in, such as the level of education they have, their performance in the numeracy and literacy test, their past experience seeking jobs, their past experience having a job. Uh, and what we see time and time again is that the treatment and control groups are almost identical. Right. But I want to go a step further to be able to convince you that they're comparable. So based upon a range of their background characteristics, we estimated where in the income distribution these people are from. And what we see, same story again here, whereby the likelihood of them being in the bottom 20%, bottom 40%, bottom 60%, bottom 80% is almost exactly the same. So they're very, very comparable, these groups. So being able to look at them over time using a what I'm going to call a difference in difference impact evaluation seems to be a reasonable thing to do. And these are the main things that I'm interested in wanting to know what the impact was of the active labour market program on. And so I'm just about to go through the findings with you, but before then, any questions at this stage? No? And so why did you choose these things as opposed to other things like wages or some like survey or life Yep, yep. So actually, so we did include questions about uh, their life satisfaction and it came out to be comparable. Uh, so but that's a good point. Maybe I should have included those characteristics there as well. So in terms of wages, uh, we have what people report in terms of their sort of how much cash they got over the last uh, sort of in a last month. And we also have people talking about how much money that they live on typically. Uh, but uh, it's a little bit of a rubbery sort of measure. Uh, and because all these people were outside the formal labour market, there's not like a sort of good wage that we could point to and refer to. But it's a really good point on that front as well. So uh, effectively, um, they were comparable across those characteristics. I didn't show you, but also I'm hesitant to refer to the cash. How much cash did you get? Because cash can come from a range of sources, particularly if you're a young person disadvantaged in Port Moresby and maybe some of them aren't the most uh, legal, but yeah, means. Just a quick clarification, so the, um, the treatment group, does everyone that is eligible participate in the program? What if they decide not to do it No, good question. So we might be concerned about the fact that, so to be precise, uh, you know, are we looking at the intent to treat? Right? or the actual treatment on treated. So you know, to what extent did people who were eligible actually go on? And it ended up being that uh, around 95% of people who were eligible did go on. Yeah. And uh, there was two main reasons why people didn't go ahead. One of them was that they weren't contacted, uh, and the other was that uh, they did eventually get placed, but uh, I excluded them from the time horizon that we actually have here in the survey because of the fact that it was going to interfere with questions about, say, whether you had a job in the last six months or not. Well, if they were still doing their internship in that period of time, I had to exclude them. So, yeah. But almost exclusively, yeah. Cool. So now, let's have a look at what we're here for, right? What was the impact of the program? Finally, get to the point, Chris. Now, first of all, using it, so I'm using a difference-in-difference difference methodology, right? So we want to know about the difference between these two groups before and after the program. 
Now, this is a much more simpler story to be able to tell because before the program, no one had any job in the formal sector. Okay, so this is a simple before and after story. It gets more complicated going forward. But I'll start with this. And what we see is that in terms of the treatment group, almost half of people in the treatment group had a job following the uh, program. So this is at least six months after the program did you have a job in the formal sector. Okay? On average, it was around about 12 months across participants. So almost half still are working in the formal sector. Now, in the control group, it's around 14% who had a job. So uh, even in the control group, some people are getting jobs in the formal sector, but the real question is here, we want to know about the difference between the treatment and control groups. And this is, I've kind of represented it here in this chart, which is this is the share of people in the formal sector. So see in the treatment group, it's almost 50%. In the control group, it's more like 14%. And uh, this is just the level of statistical significance. So these are sort of uh, confidence intervals. And we see very clearly that this is a large effect and also it's clearly statistically significant. Uh, I'm happy to go into more of the sort of technical details, but effectively the story is that there's a large bump, it's about 20, 25 percentage points higher rate of employment for people in the treatment group versus the control group. So who are employing these young people? What is going on? What is driving this effect? Because this is a sizable effect, right? Particularly when we think about like McKinsey's sort of meta-analysis of active labour market programs that seem to suggest that you know, you'll be flat out creating two jobs for every 100 people who participate. Whereas here we're seeing a massive effect. Well, the difference is actually entirely driven by young people staying on with the employer who they did the internship with as part of the program. Right? So on average, around about... One in five young people who do an internship get offered to stay on with their employer as part of the program. Right? So if we compare the difference between the treatment and control group among people who had a job not with their internship employer, there is no difference. Right? So that this difference here is entirely driven by people staying on with their internship employer. Any questions at this point? for so many questions. I want to go into more details. Uh, so, here we go. Cool. So, next thing we want to know is, what about people who uh, didn't have a job now but were seeking a job? And what we see is that prior to the program, around about 15% of young people right, uh, in either both treatment and control groups were looking for a job. And following the program, we see that people in the treatment group are far more likely to be looking for a job versus people in the control group. Now, because we're using a difference in difference impact evaluation, what we're interested in is we want to know what the difference is between what did happen in the treatment group and what would have happened if it continued on the same trajectory as the control group. And so if it continued on the same trajectory as a control group, we would have seen a reduction in job-seeking behaviour, but instead we see a doubling, almost like a significant increase here in job-seeking behaviour. And we capture this here, whereby this is looking at the difference and the differences. And in the control group, we actually see a reduction over time because it falls from here to here, whereas in the treatment group, it actually is an increase of almost 20 percentage points. So... And this effect, so this is the overall effect, and this effect is entirely driven by people who did the active labour market program, didn't get a job with their internship employer, but then are now actively out there trying to get a job elsewhere. Right? Whereas in the control group, it kind of doesn't really seem to have made that much of a difference. Cool. Any, any questions? No? Just coffee, here we go. Yeah. Uh, so, now if we think about something else, which is we're not just interested in people, say, entering the labour market directly, maybe participating in the active labour market program made them more likely to want to seek further education. Well, at the start of the program, around 60% of people in the treatment control group 
were looking to pursue future education. But that's declined in both groups, but declined much faster in the control group. What, why might this be? They enjoy having a job right now, and they don't want to do something other than get a job now. Potentially, yeah, potentially. It depends on the questions you ask, really, because they, whether they anticipate the opportunity for education in the question that they ask. Yeah, look, I think that's a good point, which is it depends how they sort of interpret it. But I guess my take on this is that, um, so a lot of uh, people might actually see the Urban Youth Employment Program as like broadly uh, education, you know, it's some kind of training or education program. So it's not too surprising that when they were applying, a lot of them were interested, right? But, you know, after having done it, particularly if you're in the control group, you might be a little bit like, I don't know, maybe this whole pursuing future education, training, stuff like that, it's kind of really not maybe worthwhile. Uh, it doesn't seem to have paid off greatly in terms of employment prospects. Uh, but anyway, we see a decline in both groups, but the decline, this is the treatment group again, the decline was not statistically significant from zero, so in other words, like pretty much stayed stable, whereas in the control group, we see like a massive drop in interest in seeking further education. Uh, so, um, yep. when do they have the opportunity to apply to be part of the program again, or is it just one off? Yeah, so good, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So effectively, um, doing an impact evaluation on this program was really, really challenging because of this, uh, no, it's not a problem, you know, it's like a good thing that if you can reapply for the program, but it's a problem from, I guess, like my perspective in terms of wanting to do an impact evaluation so I can learn what the impact is, because then your control group can get treated and then that kind of can mess it up. Uh, but in this case, uh, due to uh, the fact that there was, um, people were quite upset, uh, why don't we say that, there was some, uh, um, significant uh, issues with telling uh, um, the youth midway through the program in Intake 13 that they're not going to go on and do the active labour market program. Uh, that meant that uh, the deal was with them just like you can't apply. Again, all this entire cohort, none of you guys can apply again. And so they actually excluded them and then I uh, tracked and matched all future intakes to make sure they enforced that. And so they did actually enforce it for this group of people. They enforce it for the purpose of this work, so that there was a control group. No, no. That that would start to feel a little bit unethical if that was the case. Yeah. Uh, so no, but it was because of the fact that that intake there was they getting to do volunteer with FIFA was seen as you've had your turn, right? And there was also a lot of people were upset, so they didn't want to then have some people in the intake get to reapply and then go on. They just went no. This is your shot. Do it or go home, which was a pretty brutal way of doing it, but it made it more straightforward from this perspective. Yeah. That would have a fairly significant emotional and psychological impact on the participants who thought they were going through this program and suddenly the rights being pulled out from under them. So that's going to mean that they're not really uh, an objective baseline measure to say uh, for control. No, that's, that's good. <coughs> Yeah. It has an impact which is going to skew their um, motivation, yeah. education, pursuing education, and that was the point. Yeah, no, no, I think that uh, there's good reason to think that you would be upset, right, as a result. However, in terms of your desire, which is to uh, get by doing something uh, productive, with your time to be able to bring in some money, maybe less so of an issue. Uh, but the next slide I'm about to show you is the impact on antisocial behaviour and crime. And the results that we get there don't quite fit the idea of, you know, I'm super discouraged now, I'm super grumpy, I'm now going to go um, kind of commit crime. That's definitely not what we observe. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. No, I see what your point in terms of maybe just interest in formal education, things like this. But I guess I'm trying to say collectively when you look at all the results, 
of which I'm only showing you guys some things here, it feels like probably that effect was not as problematic as what we might expect it to be. Yep. Uh, however, yeah, that's good. That, that, I mean, yeah, I, I think that obviously the impact evaluation has that limitation, but I think that uh, every impact evaluation where there's a comparison group where people miss out, um, there's always this risk. In this particular case, uh, probably more so. Uh, and so further analysis will still be done in terms of looking at the extent to which that may be causing issues. Like, to what extent is that really a huge issue or a smaller issue? So I'm going to do further analysis on that. I haven't got that for you today, but, but yeah. Uh, good, fair point and point taken. Yep. Uh, okay, well, before I jump ahead to that, any other questions? Cool. So now in terms of anti-social behavior, uh, what just because there's a range of questions we ask on this. So antisocial behaviour and criminal behaviour. And so the problem is when you ask people how many murders have you committed recently, people don't tend to give you honest answers. Um, however, actually, um, quite concerningly, uh, some people still do respond uh, to that. Uh, but in general, um, the, the kind of literature suggests that you should be asking people questions maybe a little bit more indirectly so asking about people's best friends, such as, you know, has your best friend committed a crime recently? And then people are much more likely to be, oh, yeah, my best friend, but not me, you know, like, uh, or, you know, are your friends involved in fights? Oh, yeah, bad guys, not me. Or are you out late at night with your friends regularly? Oh, yeah, yeah of course, but no, I'm not doing, yeah, you know, like, so there's kind of a whole range, there's like a battery of indirect questions um, that you ask people to try and get a better understanding of this. And what we see is that in the control group, from before to after the program, we actually see a decline in all these behaviours. So people become less likely to uh, have a friend commit a crime, you know, are less likely to have these range of antisocial behaviour and criminal behaviours. But in the treatment group, we actually see an increase. An increase in likelihood of committing criminal behaviour and antisocial behaviour. Um, and are they all uh, significant? So all these differences are significant. Yep. Yeah, I just tried to sim uh, simplify, sorry, simplify the story. Yeah, they're all significant presents a bit of a puzzle. Interestingly, this effect is entirely driven by people who are in the treatment group but are currently unemployed, right? So not, so not the ones who actually got a job um, from their internship employer or got a job elsewhere. This is entirely driven by people who got to do the comprehensive active labour market program and then afterwards it left them with nothing. And if we just compare the treatment control group among people who now have a job, we see a very similar story, which is that a decline in all this kind of antisocial and criminal behaviour. But so this effect here is really driven by the fact that some, uh, well, a large share of the young people who don't have a job now, but went through the program, the comprehensive program of the active labour market program, uh, are more likely to be up to these things. Yeah. What about when you compare unemployed versus control treatment groups? Yep, so same story, statistically significantly higher in treatment versus control. In that case, but the control group among people who are unemployed is it stayed roughly zero, right? But uh, sort of they're more like down here, not statistically significant from zero, uh, whereas the treatment group, they're like, whoa, up here. Yep, much higher. Yep. The numbers are different. So? Yeah, so we'll... Yep. So what you were measuring there. So the treatment groups, those that are unemployed. Yeah. Yep, so uh, we've got about 50-50 in the treatment group, so just below 50-50. Yep. Compared to having the control? Yep, so in the control group, uh, you've got, say, like 80 to, to just below, so a bit over 80 versus just below 20. So... 
so that's a, I guess the point you're raising is that maybe we're not comparing completely like with like in that case. Uh, however, what we're interested in, I guess, is wanting to know particularly uh, within the treatment group, okay, is there a difference between people who have a job now and who don't have a job? And in that case, we see that people who do have a job, we see a fall. People who uh, don't have a job, we see a massive increase. So that's where it's a more credible comparison, where we're thinking a little bit more there about sort of uh, some of the characteristics. But it is a little bit sort of biased by the fact that in your control group, you actually have much more people who don't have a job. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I take your point that you're, you're raising there, but it's kind of, even if I factored in and weighted it, uh, you're still going to get an almost identical story. The order of magnitude is just going to vary slightly. So do you think the heterogeneous effects are driven within the treatment group are driven by some sort of pre-existing trait uh, that just meant that some of the people in that group were more liable to commit crime than they would have anyhow, but it also meant they were less likely to be in jail? Or do you think there's some sort of interaction going on between the treatment and pre-existing traits, which means that once you've uh, had this training, um, yep. you're a certain type of person, or now you've got skills to go out and acquire more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe you've got the resources, right? Because you've just earned all this money, you know, so you've got some startup capital now. <laughs> so you can go, yep, uh, buy a gun. No, so that, that's not really what I. Uh, yeah, so I, I think uh, the question is really whether there's a time invariant factor, right? Uh, which could be dri driving this result. And the fact that because this is like a difference in difference, it should factor in, like it should remove those time invariant factors from the question, from the question there. Uh, but then I guess there is this underlying thing, which is that, uh, yeah, that there is a possibility that there could be some factor that uh, does vary with time. Uh, and maybe it's like innately in you. And then once you do an active labor market program, then it has an effect in different ways. But uh, because of the difference in difference, it kind of it largely rules out the fact, like, say if you're just a bad guy and you're a bad guy all along, well, that should sort of be controlled for through the difference in difference. Because this is looking at change in individual behaviour before and after. Yep. Cool. Any other questions on this right now? So, so what we did was we wanted to be able to understand a bit better what was going on here, what was driving these results. So we, import, uh, so we did a survey of all the employers who take on people as part of the, the uh, program. And we wanted to know, in particular, we asked them a range of questions, but we really wanted to know which of these aspects do they value the highest? Because we want to know, is it, is it one of these aspects that seems to be really driving these results? Or is it a combination? And uh, believe it or not, employers liked free labor, right? Free labor, that helped, okay? So we tried to test this because we wanted to know their elasticity or willingness to take on people as part of the program. And what we saw was that uh, only 15% of employers would take on the same number of youth if there was no subsidy in place. And it was only around, if we gave them half a subsidy, only 30% of people would take on the same number of employers. So what we see is that people like getting the free labour. That seems to be a key aspect. But then the job matching assistance was crucial for the employers as well. In fact, this program is the third most popular way that employers get new staff. So, I mean, like, this, this is a pretty big deal in terms of a recruitment process for them. So they really value the fact that you have people knocking at your door uh, and bringing in youth. And they love the training. So the training was something that time and time again came out to be important because of the fact that employers raised this key issue of trying to train new staff from scratch is really, really costly. So they're getting youth who have already been trained in basic skills were being matched with their, um, being matched like that, they just say, yeah, we need someone, and they get someone at their door on Monday, right? And then they get them paid for, for five months, for free. So employers really love all three components of this. Uh, there's no particular one that we can isolate and say that's the key reason why they participate. Yep. Uh, is it self-reported, the um, wage subsidy uh, 
what they say they would. Yep, yep. So this is uh, at best qualitative data that we've collected to try and um, add some light on the findings of the impact evaluation. Yep. Cool. Any other questions? Or so uh, this is kind of gives you a little bit of a taste of uh, this program, but obviously there's a lot more things that future research needs to focus on. And I'm just going to quickly highlight these and then say how actually in the next impact evaluation um, of this program for the, over the next sort of three-year period, uh, we're going to design it so that we can address each of these problems. So first of all, there's this real question of whether or not jobs have been created or whether you've just changed who would have got the job. So maybe it would have been the case that they would have employed someone anyway uh, so no new jobs are being created, but you've just now maybe done something from an equity perspective, which is maybe getting more disadvantaged youth into those jobs. So we want to have a better understanding of kind of like the uh, equilibrium effects in the job market. So that's what we'll look at in the next program, but that's a limitation of this. The second one is it would be good to know a bit better the extent to which which one of these aspects are driving the results. But particularly on the training front, because there, there's a, for some unknown reason, there seems to be a large interest in TVET in Papua New Guinea at the moment. And uh, so the real question is, say, maybe on the training side, would training, just giving people training, be a better option than giving them all three components right here? So we're going to test this in the next stage as well. Uh, and then the third one is... Uh, Clearly, the results are not coming back quite as uh, nicely as we would like to see on this front. Right? I guess we'd really like to be able to tell a story whereby doing the active labour market component uh, was, uh, was able to dramatically reduce antisocial and criminal behaviour. Yep. So I think this could be an area where, where gender could play a potentially role here. Control group, you might be have a. I, mean, I don't know, but, um, have, but but you might have a more even or even large cohort of females who are engaging in less heterosexual behaviour than than men. Male use or more. So that could be because all those females aren't making through the same um, proportion to treatment group. I don't know. Yeah. That's just like a question on Yeah, that's no, so a good point. And I did promise I'll talk more about uh, gender as well. So um, I guess I'll address that. And then once I come to the end, I'll then uh, refer to some of those other points. But yeah, so just in terms of the uh, characteristics, actually the characteristics in the treatment and control group were the same on gender. I just didn't show you that there just because of the fact that um, I was more focusing on, say, uh, some things which we thought might be 100% directly relevant to employment. Uh, but definitely, obviously, gender is crucial. But because of the way how uh, actually selected the control group here in this way, whereby they're effectively the same group of people, but some were lucky and some weren't, it means actually you do get a similar split of male and female. Yep. Thanks, Chris. That's great. Um, when you say lucky or unlucky, do you know anything about the selection process for the people who got selected into the treatment? Who selected them to become part of Yeah, so, um, so actually, so these intakes were done at the same time in the same neighbourhoods in Port Moresby. So, um, like, literally, same spot every three months. This is intake 12 at this point. Uh, they come and they set up a stand, and it's like, come sign up if you're interested. Uh, it's a little, there's a little bit more to it than that, but pretty much that's how it works. And so, uh, people rocked up here and then people rocked up here, and then people rocked up here, and the people who rocked up at intake 13 didn't know that they were going to be unlucky. So this is purely just to do with the fact that maybe in April in 2015, you went, oh, why not give it a shot? In July in 2015, you said, why not give it a shot? November 2015. And the idea is that because we have really the intake before and after, and because we're looking at a difference in difference approach, uh, 
and we're looking at within the cohort here. That, like these are, this is, this is not random, but it is as good as random almost. You know, so. Uh, and, okay, maybe I should just clarify just uh, one final thing on this, which I want to make that point before before I start taking any further questions, which is that. Uh, Remember, and I feel like I need to say this, given that some people in the room are senior advisors to uh, Papua New Guinean government officials. Uh, so uh, remember, what I was talking about here was the additional impact of doing the active labour market component beyond just doing the public works component. A previous impact evaluation of the program focused on the fact that simply participating in either the public works component or the active labour market program program actually had a positive effect on any social behaviour and criminal behaviour. So that was just like, if you just participate anyway, you're less likely to be doing these activities. But what I'm showing here is that actually, but within the people who did participate, if you went on to do the much better version, the active labour market component, you actually were like more likely to commit crime than if you didn't, right, and just did the first bit. So to sum it up, I'd say that what this illustrates is that the active labour market component of the program has large private benefits for the people who participate, but there's no additional public benefits for the broader community from the active labour market component versus just doing the public works program. So if you solely cared about the public benefit, you would just do public works program even though the actual individuals themselves wouldn't benefit as much. I'm not advocating for that path, obviously, because these individuals uh, can benefit a lot from doing the active labour market program, but it's just important, I think, to make that distinction. Uh, and then so you're just on this point here, what we're actually looking at doing is drawing upon some literature uh, that's been done in other parts of the world, particularly by Chris Blackman, uh, and his folks at this in Liberia and a few other places whereby actually introducing some kind of a cognitive and behavioural therapy type sort of uh, training into the urban youth employment program to try and minimise uh, the kind of violent uh, tendencies of youth. So uh, it's actually been shown to be very effective in other parts of the world. So we're looking at also including that in the next phase. And each of these three steps we'll have impact evaluation evaluating each of them in the next phase. Um, anyway, I might take questions from now on uh, and then, yep. I've got about five minutes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yep. So there's no qualitative aspects to your research, was there? A lot of these things would have been really interesting to draw out qualitative methods to try and get a richer picture of what's actually going on. Yeah, so actually, so there was some qualitative research that was done of the program. Uh, so, um, and I've reviewed all that, uh, all those findings of that work. I guess the challenge is with the, and that's been super useful to, I think, bring a lot of light to some of these just numbers and charts here. Uh, so, Obviously, this is qualitative research. Like, I mean, these employers were surveyed. There was no kind of impact evaluation component to it. But there was also actual focus groups that were done, particularly focusing on things to do with gender and other issues like that. Uh, but with that focus group material, so I think there was around 100 people participated. Uh, now, um, I couldn't provide an order of magnitude of the impact of the effect of different parts of the program through that work. So uh, this is, comp like the work that I've done here on the impact evaluation is meant to complement the qualitative work that's already been done, which kind of painted a real positive story, particularly on a gender front. Um, but this is kind of like meant to actually be in addition to that, so. Yeah. I'm wondering whether this, this progress is, is happening in other provinces, in Papua New Guinea, for instance, to that almost they are affected by mining industry? Yep, so um, no, uh, but it's about to be rolled out in lay for the oh. next phase. Yep. Okay. How long are that? Uh, 
But if, if you could get a direct line to uh, the PNG government, maybe you can advocate for that. But uh, that's not um, on the cards at the moment. Uh, yeah, at one point it was actually discussed, but just due to resources, uh, they didn't go down that path. I'm just conscious of the time, so I'll take a couple of questions quickly, yeah? No, it was just, I'm just coming back to the holidays. Yep. It'd be interesting to know the understanding of what they were doing between the control group and the treatment group. So, for example, whether they understood that they were engaging as volunteers, or is it a lot of media was... Um, came out at that time because they, many of them were complaining that they didn't receive any payments or even their volunteer allowances. So whether or not that had any impact on their behavior later on, whether they were disheartened by the whole thing. So um, actually I can be very confident in saying all the youth here in the control group uh, in intake 13 that I'm referring to here got paid for their participation in the FIFA volunteer program. Uh, so that, because they were kind of like a subgroup of people who did participate in that way, but they all got paid because uh, we like verified and matched with the sort of payment system that they have. So everyone who we're comparing to got paid. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. It'd be interesting to look at whether there's any net economic impact on businesses that because all of the things you list there, the three factors, as an employer, I get yeah, someone's going to reduce the risk of employing someone, cover their costs for three, because five months, whatever, um, it applies anyway. It doesn't matter what qualifications are, there's still a risk for business to bring someone on and training and a lag between actually. So to see whether there was a, an economic impact on the business itself getting this. Yeah. Yes, and I'll, I'll love to be able to do that rigorously. So we tried to do that in a more... Uh, so in a more uh, subjective way, why don't we say, uh, whereby we asked employers about whether they thought there was um, sort of a net benefit, uh, and they said yes, but, you know, I, I kind of was like, I'd like to know that a bit more rigorously. So one thing that we did get to try and get at that in a more rigorous sense is we wanted to know, would you have had more or less or the same number of staff if you didn't participate in the program? because uh, we wanted to understand whether it kind of led them to have more labour or less labour or something, which was at least one way we could get at this a little bit more rigorously. My ideal world would actually randomise among expressions of interest between businesses, okay, will then randomly provide a business with a, um, a, like an intern, right, for that period of time and then track their economic performance over time. But anyway, like, long story short to your question is that what we did find was that people were uh, actually slightly less likely to have more employees. So in other words, uh, having an intern seemed to reduce the total number of employees that that business would take on other than the intern. So there was kind of some displacement effect, uh, which maybe suggested a negative spillover in the labour market. Uh, good for the business, but not so good for the other people who are out there. Maybe just one final question, is that right? Yeah. It's a related question of someone else. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it follows on from that. Um, so there's a equilibrium effect. So your study didn't look at that, which is the impact evaluation of the revenues employment program. I would have thought that's a fairly important question to ask as if you're evaluating such a program. No. Absolutely. So, no, no. So, so obviously it was looked at. So we did look at it in a uh, more uh, crude sense in terms of to rigorously do it in an impact evaluation. There's actually only been one attempt to ever do that, and that was done in Turkey. Uh, and they did tend to show some kind of equilibrium effects, but they are very minor. But it's actually incredibly hard to do um, this well uh, because of the fact that, you know, you're, you're no longer talking about the individual level. You're, you're not even talking about at the business level. You're talking about in the labour market level and what you consider to be a local labour market, and to be able to do a rigorous impact evaluation where you're randomising across that becomes very challenging. However, we're going to go for it in the final phase. So that's we're going to hopefully be able to get at that in the next phase. And we're going to do that by varying, within neighbourhoods, varying how many people actually get to participate in the program 
And so randomly selecting and varying, and then that allows you to be able to kind of begin to get at this variation uh, through like an encouragement design where you kind of use uh, first stage and then second stage um, sort of bit, uh, instrumental variable effect. But yeah, that's kind of a bit ambitious. We'll see how it goes. Maybe too ambitious for Port Moresby. All right, well, we're pretty much out of time. Uh, so, thank you very much, Chris. I think that was a very really, uh, interesting uh, presentation. It's interesting the project's being expanded to lay. So, the World Bank obviously regards it as a success. I'm not sure if that's based on your findings or some other findings. It seems more, a bit more of an open question. So, this is the best they've got in terms of um, quantitative evidence, and so they seem pretty happy with this outcome. Uh, so they are looking to expand as a result. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. Okay. Good. So we look forward to uh, your further research on the subject. So please join me. Thank you, Chris. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea, the Pacific and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter to get all the latest updates, or you can connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.